Hey there, everybody. It's me, Josh. And for this week's SYSK Selects, I've chosen How Coral Reefs Work from 2012. I think March of 2012. And it's a good one. It's got a lot of science. There's a lot of interesting uh, marine biology to learn. And plus, it's just good to get to know this a very rare form of life that we are very rapidly erasing from the global biosphere. So I hope you enjoy this very eye-opening episode on coral reefs. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. With me, as always, is Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and that makes this Stuff You Should Know. <laughs> I just noticed your cold has cleared up. <clears throat> yeah, a little bit. I still have the um, the uh, an interior lining, a very thick All right, that's um, good. phlegm. <laughs> Other than that, I'm fine. Yeah, you sound fine now. That's all I care about. You know what it was? Tons of emergency yeah. used to wash down tons of vitamin B stress, which is like tons of just different vitamin Bs. I eat solar ray. Um, and Scotch. <laughs> right. Single malt scotch. That's my secret ingredient. Um, and lots of lysine. A couple nice. of lysines every time. Like thousands and thousands of uh, percentages of daily value. Like Stuff. just it, it just <laughs> makes the FDA cringe that I take yeah, this much. That's what I do. I just load up on like everything. Just like blast it. Triple it. Yep. There you go. Take that body. So I'm fine. Good. Now Yumi has it. Oh, does she? <laughs> oh, poor thing. Same exact thing. And she doesn't like when I tell her to take vitamins. Yeah, but that you know, you live together, you eat right. drink after one another, you suck face. It's I just happen. like I'll leave like emergency here or there, like laying around. Right. <laughs> Oh, did I leave that there? Oops, that's yeah. already dissolved in the water even. <laughs> <laughs> and it's going down your gullet. Um, Chuck. Yes. Did you know that I am a certified scuba diver? I sure did. Oh, yeah, you did. Mm-hmm. I thought for sure you were going to be like, no, I didn't. No, we've talked about this. Yeah, and we've even scuba dived together, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That was the first time I heard about it. I'm not the sharpest tack in the package. That's all right. Um, but I say that to tell you that I was certified at a place called Isla Mueres off the coast of Cozumel, which just so happens to also be the home of the second largest barrier reef. Oh, really? Known to man. What's it called? Known to humans. I don't know. It, it's not called anything because there's the Great Barrier Reef and then there's all the other All reefs. the other ones. Yeah. But this is the second largest, which is pretty big because there's a lot of barrier reefs. There's a lot of coral reefs in the world. But after reading this article, mm-hmm. I found that there is a lot about coral reefs that I didn't know. I Fortunately, didn't know we had Jennifer Horton, mm-hmm. who I'm sure you'll remember, uh, worked at the site for a while. Yeah, she's a great writer. Great writer. We had it. We had her to explain it to us, and she, like I get coral reefs now. In fact, Jennifer has written many of the uh, animal-related podcasts that we've done. Octopi. Uh huh. Um, Bison, I think, maybe? Did she maybe. write that one? Probably. She, she wrote a lot of the animal stuff. Animal migration? Yeah. Lots of good ones. We miss you, Jennifer. Hope you're well. If yeah. you listen. She's I like, wonder. Who are they? Right. <laughs> I don't remember those guys. I hated those two. All this right, coral reefs. So uh, this was all new to me. Uh, the rainforest of the sea. Of the equatorial seas. Home to uh, about 25% of all fish species. Yeah. That's crazy. In fact... Right, um, yeah. the Great Barrier Reef yeah. has more more kinds of coral um, 
on like one just single little outcropping of it than you'll find in the entire tropical area of the Atlantic Ocean. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. I don't know why I just said that there. The Aussies are going to they're going to be so stoked with this podcast. Probably. Anytime they can like claim to something like that, they're just like, "Yeah. Yeah. Drink." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they're going to go pour beer on the Great Barrier Reef. <laughs> um it's the coral reefs are very beneficial to humans in a number of ways. Yeah. Economically? Sure, because there's a lot of sea life and thus people fishing for shrimp and lobster and things like that. Right, in all sorts of weird ways, which we'll get to later. Yeah. Um, they also protect the uh, beach from erosion. They act as natural buffers from huge waves, wave action. That's right. These little Storms. tiny guys. Yeah, well, let's talk about that because you think of when you think of coral, you think of huge, you know, Great Barrier Reef. It's enormous. Yeah, it's sure. like... Um, I think there's 18,000 miles total of coral face. Wow. Face. That is crazy. uh, On the Great Barrier Reef. Actually, an individual coral called a polyp um, is about three millimeters long. Yeah. That's small. Super tiny. For those of you in America. Uh, They are, well, science got it wrong early on. We should go ahead and say that they, um, at one point, fairly... uh, understandably, yeah. thought that it might be plant life. Right. Because uh, it sort of looks like it. Yeah, like, you know, like the f- a coral fan. Yeah. That's a bunch of those little three-millimeter corals building up into a fan. Yeah, and it looks that like looks a plant. That looks like a plant, yeah. So they got it wrong, and they're actually, not only are they real living little sea creatures, but they're carnivores. Yeah. Which is, you know, you would never think about that. No, but they're in the uh, phylum Cnidaria. <laughs> Nidaria. Why would they put the C there? It's silent, man. You know, I appreciate a silent letter. I am smarter than my pronunciations would suggest. <laughs> I started looking this up because I feel like an idiot a lot of times. So they're in the phylum Nidaria, which means um, that they have stinging cells, barbed stinging cells um, called nematocysts. That's right. So um, they use this to capture their prey, but the prey kind of has to come to them oh, because sure. they're also sessile, which means they're fixed to a certain spot. Yeah. Cecil. Seriously? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so it is understandable also that they got it wrong because coral has a unique property. It is almost half plant because there's this algae in Can the cells. I want to pronounce it. Okay, go ahead. Uh, it's called zooxanthellae. <laughs> You're right. Very nice. Starts with a Z and there's an X in there somewhere. Yeah, and then it ends in A-E. Uh, so what happens with – there's a, a very mutually beneficial relationship between the algae and the the polyp. They do a little exchange. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the polyp itself will supply oh, – I'm sorry, the algae will undertake photosynthesis. Yes, as algae tends to do. As algae will do. And it will say, hey, Mr. Polyp, why don't you take uh, all this stuff that I've, I've uh, made – within your cell walls and, and convert it to proteins and fats. It poops out like amino acids. And for carbs. The, for the polyp. And in return, why don't you give me a, a nice shelter and, and you can also produce some uh, carbon and nitrates and phosphates that I need mm-hmm. to produce the photosynthesis to give you the proteins and fats that you need. So it's what you might call a symbiotic relationship. Exactly. One's helping the other. And um, you can make the case that the coral is getting the better end of the deal because the sure. coral gets about 90% of the energy produced through photosynthesis by the uh, zooxanthellae, right? Yeah. Um, but 
that also makes the coral more dependent on the zooxanthellae. True. And the zooxanthellae, it's, it's an algae of very little needs. It's not needy. It's not grabby. It's not going to call you up every Friday night <laughs> wondering what you're doing and why you aren't here. Are you talking about me? No, no, no. Jerry liked that one. So um, the the symbiotic relationship between the zooxanthellae and the coral polyps also produce coral reefs. Um, the polyps use some of that energy, some of that amino acid, to mm-hmm. create something called calcium carbonate. And that's the hard stuff, right? That's limestone, my friend. Boom. Yeah, they produce limestone out of their buttocks to create a cup, a little shelter mm-hmm. for the polyp to stay in. And since the algae stays in the polyp, it creates a shelter for both, right? Yeah. And this limestone secretion can keep building and building and building because, again, coral stays in the same place. They're sessil. That's right. And um, as, as long as they're still secreting limestone, the limestone structure they build will just keep getting bigger and bigger eventually. Love it. That's just one three-millimeter-long coral. Yes. What you want to do is get thousands together. Strength in numbers. Yeah. Then you have a coral fan. Yeah, or a colony. Yes. And then those colonies will eventually meet up with other colonies uh, and say, hey, you guys interested in forming a reef? Because we're pretty indestructible, although that's not quite true. We're more indestructible if we all hook up, my brothers. Like you said, strength in numbers. Yes. Uh, and when they hook up, uh, their limestone uh, secretions can start to join together, forming a reef. Yeah. But they're also um, connected by a thin piece of tissue. <laughs> you got this one? Called a? Cenosarc. That's what I was going to go for. I was just tired of humiliating myself for this episode. I would have called it a conosarc, so I was way off. I'm really glad I looked it's that one up. It's a coelacanth. Yeah, it's a cenosarc. Um, and that's how... The the coral themselves are, through limestone secretions and through this tissue called the cenosarc, they're connected. Right. But how would they grow? Well, there's two ways, man. Okay. They can reproduce. Yeah. A couple of ways, though, right? Sexually or asexually. I know which one I'd choose. Which one? Asexual. Yeah. Because you're cloning. That's pretty remarkable. Yeah. Anyone can just get together and, you know, mate Right. Sexually, it's like, here's some sperm. And another one's like, here's some eggs. And then they get together and then it's just, it's not, there's not much to it. <laughs> right. Asexually, though, they actually do divide and produce identical clones of themselves. And uh, that's one way they can grow. And the other way is just to keep pooping out limestone. Yep. And, and that will connect with each other and it just forms a big old yummy reef. <laughs> This is not a fast process, though. Like if there's a, a couple of coral that are a few inches away, say three inches away. Yeah. And they're like, I would like to hook my Cenosarc up to your Cenosarc and let's <laughs> poop some limestone out together and get this reef going. That's beautiful. It's going to take them about a year to get together. Can you imagine how frustrating that is? To be three inches away and be like, I'd really like to consummate this. Right. I'll see you next June. I'm not convinced that coral can experience frustration. You don't think so? I don't. 
I think that's all they experience. <laughs> Nothing but frustration. <laughs> Either that or they're like really, really patient. But that three inches of growth a year um, has to take place under very specific conditions. Remember we said that coral reefs are in equatorial waters. Yeah. Um, not the coral themselves, but the um, zooxanthellae are actually very fickle and picky little organisms. And they like specific conditions. And as long as the conditions are right for them, then the coral can grow. Because right. remember, the coral are dependent on the zooxanthellae That's right. to produce the calcium carbonate. That's right. Um, so what are the conditions, Chuckers? Well, uh, you said equatorial, specifically 30 degrees north or south. If you have ever dived in the Bahamas and said, no, that's 32 degrees north, right. and they have plenty there, it's because the warm uh, Gulf waters spitting out toward the Bahamas, which is one reason the Bahamas is such a popular spot, I would imagine. Yes. I've never been there. You? No. My folks drove my car back from the Bahamas, though, once. You had a car in the Bahamas? <laughs> You're supposed to say, You're kidding. You're kidding. It must be the Bahamas are islands. Ugh. It's a, it's a <laughs> Dead Milkman song. It's Bitch and Camaro. Oh, that's from Bitch and Camaro? Yeah, it's the beginning. Jeez, I'm a dummy. That's all right, Chuck. I'm not hip. Uh, I'm not hip either, Chuck. <laughs> sunlight is another thing that they need because, and it makes sense, if you're going to undertake photosynthesis, you need sun. So if the water is rich in nutrients, mm-hmm. believe it or not, that's not great for them. No, because if you've ever looked through, if you've ever been underwater and seen like a lot of plankton everywhere, it filters the sunlight. It's dappled. That's right. And also, as we learn later, um, the more nutrients there are, the more it will attract uh, competition for those nutrients, and that's yeah. not good for them either. No, they don't like competition. Basically, they're just little uh, prima donnas, <laughs> the zooxanthellae <laughs> are. Uh, the water, since you're near the equator, uh, should be between 73.4 and 84.2 degrees Fahrenheit. Yep. And uh, ultimately, if you put all these factors together, ample light, clear water, and uh, between 73 and 82, or 23 Celsius and 29 Celsius, yeah, um, you can get up to about 10 centimeters or 3.9 inches of growth in a year. Twice as much on sunny days. Yes. Which is remarkable. But they're still not going to exceed that 3.9 inches, most likely. No, because um, it's not going to be sunny all, all the time. But what's cool then is if you think, well, that's crazy, you know, there's some coral that um, I've seen coral reefs, and they're big. And if it takes three point, it takes a year to grow about 3.9 inches, yeah. say horizontally or vertically, or maybe even di- diagonally, <laughs> if it was like a crazy year for them. Sure. Um, it must take thousands of years for a coral reef to build up. You would be right, my friend, which is why scientists very affectionately consider coral reefs the old growth forests of the sea. Yeah. Um, because when you're looking at a coral reef, you're looking at something thousands, if not tens of thousands of years old. Which is My why, question yeah. is, how long does the coral live? So one thing I didn't get out of this this article, did you? Oh, how each individual coral? Yeah. Each polyp? Right. Boy, I don't know. And are they, are they their cups, the protective cups uh-huh. that they secrete, um, are they inhabited by like successive generations? They're clones maybe? My guess, and I'm guessing here, is that there are so many hundreds of thousands and millions of these packed mm-hmm. so tightly together that if one of the little guys dies, it ain't no big thing because he's surrounded by his living brothers and sisters. Gotcha. But I don't know how long each one lives, though. That's a good question. Yeah. I, someone will know. Yeah. Uh, coral sand, if you look at the reef and you think, hey, coral is obviously the skeleton here of this great reef, 
Uh, it's not just the coral. Uh, coral sand, from what I understand, is little remnants, tiny pieces of coral that are either eaten and pooped out or just chipped away because of erosion and waves crashing and bad weather and stuff like that. Right. Is that right? Yeah. And um, But the cool thing is, is it doesn't necessarily go anywhere. It can fill in gaps or holes. And then, as luck would have it, there is a, um, a type of algae called coralline algae yeah. that goes and covers it up, and the structure of the algae acts as like an adhesive that glues the coral sand. So basically, it's like this self-sustaining repair process that's always going on. That's the awesome. waves erode the coral into coral sand. Certain types of fish chew the coral into coral sand. The sand goes in, just drifts into like little pockets where it gets caught and the algae lays over it. Bam. Strong coral. Well, and coral sand is mined, which is one of the threats to reefs because uh, they use it for bricks and cement and road fill. Yep. So if you're mining the coral sand, there's not going to be that uh, natural spackle to fill in the holes, and thus the reef is jeopardized. Which is just one of many ways that reefs are in jeopardy. Yeah, we'll Apparently, one estimate is that um, 40% of the world's reefs could be gone in the next few decades. That's scary. It is. Very sad. I and hope you're scared. I am scared. Um, this is where I got a little confused was, well, let's talk about the kinds of reefs, because I'm not confused about that. Okay. Uh, there are basically three categories uh, depending where they form. Uh, the fringing reef, it's the most common. It's uh, directly from the shore, mm-hmm. and uh, they form a border projecting out to the sea. Yeah, it's kind of like um, if you go to like Marblehead in Ohio, uh-huh. there's a lighthouse. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think it's limestone. It's like it just comes right off of the land. Right. I don't understand how that would be because it's in Lake Erie, which is not freshwater, but who knows? It's very similar to that. It's like just a rocky projection jutting out from the land, but it's a coral reef. Right. Or if it were a coral reef, that's a fringing reef. Interesting. Reef attached to land. Barrier reef, very similar to the fringing reef, but uh, it uh, has a a gap of water between the land and and the reef. Is that correct? Yeah. And then my favorite, of course, the atoll. It's a nice one. Which is when at one point there was an island or volcano Mm -hmm. and it sunk but you still have the circular reef, uh, reef with, uh, I guess, like a lagoon or something. Yeah, the reef keeps building, but the, the right. mountain is now submerged. Pretty cool. Yeah. So you got your three types, fringing, barrier, and atoll. Right. The zones is where I get a little confused. So all of these reefs um, are kind of broken down into zones. Like, you remember the biospeleology? How could I forget? Okay, so you've got, like, the different zones. Of the cave, sure. This is very similar to that. You've got the... Um, Back of the reef, and the back is the side closest to shore. I think that's what confused me. And then yeah, I just it, never it, it back is a little there. confusing, yeah. but it's from the it's from the the viewpoint of the sea. That's right. Um, so you've got just imagine like a, a line, and then a bump, and then another line, and that's our reef, right? Okay. Um, on the shore side of the bump. That's the back of the reef. And this is actually where the most life is. The flat zone. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's left high and dry by low tide, but most times it's just this little shallow area that's got tons of sunlight, so there's tons of plankton, sure. which means there's tons of fish, there's a feeding frenzy, there's diurnal temperature changes. Yeah. It's just very pretty. It's what most people think of when they think about diving on a, a coral reef. Okay. Right? Close. Safe. Then that bump, that's the ridge or the crest. Okay. Okay, um, 
that part, the, um, the crest uh, is always exposed at low tide. And it may be exposed even at, at high tide sometimes, depending on how big, but it's the tallest point. It also um, serves as the wave break for that function of um, reefs that protect the land. Uh, okay, sure. This is what the waves smack into. So it's going to be uh, more easily eroded and probably have more of that uh, natural spackle, right? Yes. That was it, cor- coralline algae? Probably. Is that what it's called? Coralline, yeah. Okay. Or coralline. Whichever, however you want to say it, Chuck. I'm not going to stress you out. <laughs> All right. Um, and then there's the uh, fore reef. That's the the ocean side, the seaside. Right. Um, and in that part of the uh, of the fore reef on the other side of the crest, the seaside of the crest, there's the buttress zone, which is awesome if you ask me. And that's where you're going to find, if you're shark hunting, that's where you're going to find like sharks and barracuda and interesting things like that, right? Mm-hmm. But... Does it buttress? Is that why they call it the buttress zone? So the buttress, consider a buttress is just like a jutting projection of coral limestone, right? Uh Just jutting out. And then in between these projections are little channels, holes that can go all the way through. Right. I'm not quite sure what the physics are of it, but basically once a wave goes through this coral reef Uh and hits shore and then gets drawn back out to sea, these channels um, funnel these spent waves back out to sea, and by funneling them, it gives them uh, more energy. Right. So then they crash into oncoming waves, uh-huh. which reduces the oncoming wave's velocity. So all this is, is in an attempt, naturally, to combat the erosion of pounding waves. Yes. Awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, and it's also a really excellent f- um, shelter for little fishies and things like that that want to go into the channel. So, Josh, we've talked about the Great Barrier Reef mm-hmm. uh, here and there, but we should give it its proper due as the largest living structure on the planet, seen from outer space. Everyone loves to throw that back around. Yeah. You can see it from outer space. And that made me look something up, Chuck. Um, that's It's the largest living structure? Mm-hmm. Okay, so if, if a coral reef is an organism, do you know what the second largest living organism is? Um, it's a, a fungus in Oregon named Amarillo Oyste, eighty six hundred years old, takes up four square miles or ten square kilometers. Single organism. Where is it? Oregon. Oh, Oregon. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's uh, it's at our friend Van Nostrand's house. So it's a big mushroom. Yeah. Interesting. Isn't that gross? That is gross. So uh, the Great Barrier Reef. Uh, we're talking fourteen hundred twenty nine miles or twenty three hundred clicks. And um, it is not a single reef. It's about 3,000. I got 2,900, so I'm not sure if that number had declined since this was written or not. Yep. But um, Jennifer points out, and like you pointed out earlier, the uh, the full edge of the reef is about um, 18,500 miles. So she says, if anyone's ever told you they've dived the entire Great Barrier Reef, they're dirty liars. Yeah, she said they're lying. Because there's no way. You couldn't do it in a lifetime, she said. Uh, yeah. I wonder if somebody told her that and she, like, inserted it in the article. I don't know. It's definitely an accusation. It is. It's a weird sentence.
Uh, it's one of the seven natural wonders of the world. Uh, more than 400 coral species, 2,000 fish species, 4,000 mollusks, and six of the seven sea turtle species. All right there for the for the oogling. Nice. And the ogling. Nice. <laughs> um, the like you said, the Australians are going to be proud of this, and they should be, of course. Uh, back in 1975, apparently it was in some jeopardy, and the Australians moved to protect it as a national marine park, um, and that basically ensured its survival. Sure, it's still you know kind of in rough shape here or there. Is it? As I understand. But um, six years after that, so let's see, that's uh, 1981, it became a World Heritage Site. Um, and 1% of the 18,500 square miles or 18,500 linear miles right. um, are open to the public except for that 1%. So just 1% is dedicated to research only? Just research. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Not very much. I guess that's all they need. Bona fide scientist to dive that part. Uh, the rest of it, uh, Jennifer points out, is divided into national park zones, which is uh, where you can go recreate and learn some things. Yeah. And then the rest of it is uh, general use, which means commercial fishing, which uh, I guess there's no better time to get into the threats than right now. Yes. Um, there are some coral reefs in trouble. Um the Great Barrier Reef, like I said, it's pretty well protected. But say if you look at some of the uh, reefs in the Philippines, 70% uh, have been destroyed and 5%, just 5% are in good condition wow. these days. Um, 10% of the world's reefs are now beyond recovery, not just because of human causes, because of natural causes as well. Sure. Because everything exists on a life cycle here on Earth. Yeah. We humans just tend to accelerate it. Um, 30% may die in the next 10 to 20 years. So what are the, some of the natural threats are obviously uh, harsh weather like hurricanes. Yeah. Um, El Nino, a weird weather pattern. It's going to increase temperatures, s- mess with the salinity, uh, a lot more rainfall. So an El Nino season could can do some serious damage. Yeah. Uh, bleaching, coral bleaching. When they experience as little as like one degree rise in temperature, the algae will be ejected basically from the coral. No, the algae takes off. Oh, it leaves? Yeah. It's like, see you in hell, coral. There's a fine line between ejection and and self-leaving. <laughs> it's a chicken and egg thing. Maybe. You think? Yeah. So the algae gets the heck out of Dodge, turns the uh, coral white, and if you Google pictures, you can see a lovely coral with, like, white patches here and there. Mm-hmm. That's the parts where it's bleached out. Yep. And call it. If, if this keeps up long enough, the coral dies because, yeah. again, coral has a symbiotic relationship where it's dependent on the zooxanthines algae. And if the zooxanthines leaves, then the coral dies. Very sad. Um, and like you said, it was just a... As much as a one degree temperature increase, right? Yeah, that's not much. There's also predators. Like there's things that eat um, the coral, the polyps themselves. Crabs, yeah, worms, snails, barnacles, parrotfish. Yeah, those are really pretty. Can't do anything about that, pal. That's nature at work. Yeah. But there are things we can do, such as not using dynamite when we fish on coral reefs. That's, That's a, a pretty good start. Yeah, I would say so. There's 40 countries in the world 
over 40 countries in the world that allow blast fishing. People using explosives that they drop onto the reef to stun the fish so they can just swoop them up with the net and um, basically guffaw like a slack-jawed yokel Mm -hmm. wearing nothing but overalls Mm -hmm. while they just bring their nets in. That's right. Because they just threw dynamite in the water to stun fish. Well, the dynamite also has a deleterious impact on uh, the (laughs) reef structure as well. You're going to go to the grave with that one, aren't you? (laughs) I saw on Facebook you you, uh, put the apostrophe in y'all after the A again. I mixed it up. You know what's weird is the iPhone corrects it incorrectly. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, they don't know y'all. They're from California. I've always done Y apostrophe A-L-L. That's correct. You all. Y'all. No, see, someone pointed out to me on email that it was, in fact, Y-A apostrophe L-L. No, it's you all. So I've been doing it right the whole time. No, you were doing it Y-A apostrophe L-L. Because someone told me to change it. You can't just listen to any schmo who emails Our fans have a deleterious effect on me. Deleterious. Do you want to look it up right now? <laughs> Let's talk about blast fishing again. Okay. Or cyanide fishing, which is yeah. the, the ugly stepsister of blast fishing, which is dumping cyanide onto reefs to kill fish. Again, you have to wear nothing but overalls. No shirt, no shoes, nothing. No service. Uh, uh, overfishing, period, is is got it negative effect obviously yeah because you're basically affecting the food chain you're like ooh, we like these guys because they're tasty and i'm sure they won't be missed whenever you take a any key species out of a a, an ecosystem you're in trouble no good um there's also runoff is a big one because um remember they like uh clear light the algae do yeah and uh or clear water and when there's when the water's not clear they shrivel up because they need sunlight for photosynthesis. Yeah, the pollutants went also. Um, I thought it was going to be pollutants because just pollutants are bad, which <laughs> they are. But really, the reason is pollutants and sewage actually increase the nutrients, so that attracts harmful algae and uh, competition, and that's no good. Right. And then we already talked about the mining. So what can we do, Chuck? Um, we we've got a few things we can do. You can adopt a reef. You can. Tons of organizations will let you do that. In fact, if you want to go to adopt.nature.org slash coral reef, you can adopt a reef in the Bahamas, Dominican Republic, uh, Puau, and Papua New Guinea. Nice. Just like that. Yeah, you can funnel money to an organization that will take care of that reef. Exactly. Um and that's just one. I think you can do it through all kinds of places. Didn't you say that? Yeah. yeah. You can um, get your congressperson to lobby for stricter oversight yeah. of fishing methods. Um, you can boycott products from countries that allow blast fishing or cyanide fishing. Really put the squeeze on the common sure. man in the other country. You can, Make him go to his congressperson. <laughs> you can not uh, chip off bits of the coral when you scuba dive because it's just so pretty that you want to take it home. Yeah, that's a big one. Give it to your daughter. Yeah. Not good. Yeah. No. There's a lot of stuff you can do that you probably should do if you want to save the coral reefs. That's right. I got nothing else. Why would you save them, do you say, if you don't care about snorkeling or anything like that? Well, my friend, if you care about the economy, you will want to save coral reefs because they are valuable. The, The total value of the asset that is the reefs 
the reef systems in Florida. Uh, oh, in Florida alone? Just Florida, $8.5 billion. Wow. When you take into account not just tourism, which is a big part of it, but also the estimated 177,000 jobs that this, all the industries surrounding it uh, create. Wow. That's just Florida. Worldwide, just from tourism and recreation, just tourism and recreation that reefs bring in, $9.6 billion annually. So if you like money, then you should support coral reefs. 12 to 15% of Bolivia's GDP is created by reefs. Wow. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. Yeah. So um, if you don't have a heart, but money makes you likey, <laughs> then that should get you going on saving coral reefs as well. That's right. So uh, if you want to learn more about coral reefs, including um, seeing a, a diagram of where the fore and the back of the reef is, uh, you can type in coral reefs in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. It'll bring up this great article by Jennifer Horton. Um, and since I said Jennifer Horton, it's time now for <laughs> listener mail. All right, listener mail. Okay. All right, I'm going to call this uh, Good Cause from a good person. Um, hello, SYSK team. I wanted to take a minute and thank you for helping me in a really big way. I've been working alone as a volunteer in Malawi, south of Tanzania. Malawi. Malawi. Uh, since September of 2009, and I happily pass the time listening to your show during my super long, super awesome minibus rides. Uh, I am building a library in a small village, and a big part of my library is an audio-video collection that I've been putting together for the past few years. Uh, many of the people in the village are illiterate, so a library full of books just wouldn't do them any good. So I started to think of ways I could include everyone in a learning activity. Uh, my answer was uh, to incorporate documentaries and podcasts on a variety of subjects. So basically, we will choose a topic for the week and use the podcasts as a way of getting people interested. Then direct them to read articles and books on the topic or watch documentaries and have some group discussions. Wow. Pretty cool. Um, I really believe in the beauty of being inquisitive and interested in life, and videos and podcasts really help immerse people in new subjects. Uh, this is the first library of its kind in the country. Wow. And I'm really hopeful that it uh, helps to open the world up to people who are so often cut off. Fingers crossed. And that is from Diane Bowles, the founder of The Future Found. And if you want to check out Diane's uh, awesome work she's doing, you can go to thefuturefound.org. Excellent, Chuck. Very cool. That's Diane. Diane. In Malawi. Yeah. Building, li building the only library of its kind in that the country. That is so cool. Um, thank you very much, Diane, for doing that. Um, what do you want to hear? You want to hear of other people making a difference in the world? We always love that. Yeah. You're a sap for that kind of thing. Or some good harrowing scuba diving stories, one or the other. Okay, so um, that's a great one, Chuck. Either doing good in the world or not doing any good whatsoever. Right. Um, that could be directed to Chuck and I via Twitter at SYSK Podcast. That's our Twitter handle. On Facebook.com, uh, if you go to Stuff You Should Know's page, that's that. Um, and you can also email us directly. We both get emails sent to the address stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. <laughs>